0: Son, you got a panty on your head. stories start and this is episode 15 repeat can you leave that that's awesome we're up to 15 episode 15 and and the title of this is sir don't eat the donuts we (laughs) interviewed shiny former harrier pilot and gulf war combat veteran uh he has he has some great stories
1: Uh, he did indeed some time uh in the first gulf war how they uh, came all the way around. I I mentioned briefly in the show about they went westbound around, but I do remember that being a big point of confusion for a lot of us, going, why didn't they go westbound around? They came from Japan all the way back through the United States, through the East Coast, and then all the way east until they got to to the Persian Gulf.
0: Kind of like the long way around.
1: It was the long way around. I think they took about (laughs) a 19,000-mile journey (laughs) to get there. Yeah. 20 airplanes
0: uh, in route. and that's that something? Exactly. Yeah, he's got a story about uh, the XO's daughter. Yeah. And uh, he did a little time in the training command and then uh, life after the training command. Right. He, he had a pretty full uh, Marine Corps career before Indeed he went he did. to
1: uh, the major airlines. Yeah, he did. Great storyteller, great Marine, great pilot. Fun to have him on the show. We hope you all enjoy it without any further delay. Here it is, episode 15 Sir, don't eat the donuts. Don't eat the donuts. (laughs) So there I was. It's how every great aviation tale begins. Greetings, everybody. Repeat here from Largo, Maryland this week. Joan. Joined, joined by my co-host, we just can't talk. Joined by my co-host, Fig. Fig, where are you at tonight?
0: Well, as your co-host, I want to say I am back in <laughs> Kansas City, uh and it's. We're glad. I am happy to introduce our guest, uh Shiny, who is also a former Marine Harrier pilot.
1: Yeah, he might and, have been uh, mentioned
0: once or twice here. Yes, uh, <laughs> he was mentioned several times in other podcasts. So, well, welcome aboard, Shiny.
2: Thanks. Glad to be here, guys. I can't believe uh, I can't believe we're documenting this stuff.
0: <laughs> it's gonna be, you it's have gonna to. be part of <laughs> it's gonna be part of the permanent record after this. So, yeah.
1: yeah, just like that chewing gum incident in second grade.
2: Yeah, as long as I don't have to swear on a Bible, right, we're good. Uh, we're good. Awesome.
1: Well,
0: well shiny, we we kind of like to start uh, uh, with all of our guests. Kind of give us a quick. How did you get into aviation. How did you get to, uh, you know, to flight school? How, how did that work? Where you? And, and I, kind of explain how that went.
2: Well, I, it started out with me. I actually was in the army reserve to help pay for college, kind of needed a little financial help. And uh, after I did a couple of years of that, uh, I thought I wanted to be an officer. So I sniffed around different officer programs and the Marine Corps had this PLC program. Uh, since it had been a few years, since I got out of high school, I had to take this, the AQTFAR and some ASFAB test. I was an engineering student in college, so I scored high on it. And the guy came back to me and said, all I've got is aviation contracts. So I hope you want to fly airplanes. Okay. Turning look. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was a little shocked. I was like, wait a minute. I thought I had to go to the academy or something like that to be able to be a, you know, aviator in the Navy or the Marine Corps. I said, nope. So there I was. Wound up doing the uh, PLC program, and and uh, and that's one thing led to another. Next thing I knew, I was down in Pensacola, Florida, learning yes. how to fly. So PLCs no-
1: is Platoon Leaders Course, and or yep. yeah, course, and that uh, w- consisted of uh, two summers between your freshman yep. and sophomore, and then your junior and senior year, six weeks in Quantico. What summers did you do that? And do you remember which companies you were in?
2: I was in. Uh, No, I don't remember the companies, quite honestly. I do remember uh, a couple of drill sergeants, but um, actually finally, I might add, but uh, uh, 83 and 84. Excuse me, 84 and 85. And then I got winged in, uh, uh, or excuse me, graduated in the summer of 85 and uh, off to Quantico for the basic school.
0: Now, you... you. uh went to the university of nebraska and that's where you met sinbad correct that's right or did you know sinbad yeah. prior to
2: uh no i did not know excuse me i did not know <laughs> sinbad ahead of time <laughs> scratch that uh and there's another boat uh, gentleman bobo that uh, we were all in the same fraternity in college and i was the guy that was kind of the leader of the pack in that group um Sinbad uh, had wanted to fly also, but I think he was pursuing a Air Force Academy slot. And Bobo uh, simply just wanted to fly also. And I got calls from him while I was in flight school that motivated those guys to do the same thing. And then they wind up doing the Officer's candidate School, flight school, and both those poor guys want to fly in the Harrier also. All so, right, here we are, three Harrier pilots in the. University of Nebraska.
0: Nice. You you had zero flight time uh, prior to going to flight school, or did you get that, like, a 25-hour introductory thing? I
2: I did the 25-hour thing and uh, debated going a little bit beyond that, but actually my dad said, you might want to just hold off there because you start incurring some kind of commitments that, just stop there. You got enough to wet your whistle. You know you're going to like this. Go to flight school. (laughs) All right. Good Good sound advice.
1: So, I actually thought of another question uh, that, that I think I'd like to start asking guys, but I know the answer on this one. So I'm going to ask it anyway. But uh, in all your aviation career, what's your favorite airplane that you ever flew?
2: Uh, I don't know. I, I, I should say the Harrier, but I did a stint as an instructor in the A-4, so I got a few hours in the A-4, and I really loved the A-4.
1: Right. Okay. Everybody, I guess
2: everybody like
0: everybody likes flying yeah. the A 4 It
2: was a great airplane, simple airplane, good cross
1: country airplane. It was a lot of fun. Simple, fast, sexy. Uh, it was a great airplane. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great point. So,
0: well, shiny. What, uh, what primary squadron and, and, then, uh, uh, intermediate and advanced jet squadron did you go through?
2: All right. So I was, uh, a doer bird. I was in BT two down in Pensacola yep. and, uh, and then went to Kingsville and I was in VT 23 there
0: uh, for the T2 and then VT 21 for the uh, A4. And then when you went back to be an instructor, you were in VT 22, right? Yes. Or were you in 20? Yeah. Because we had just a little bit of overlap there. Yeah. There was when a little I bit of overlap up, there. You were just about to leave. Well, obviously, we know you selected Harriers.
2: <laughs> There's a little backstory there. I actually, actually was going to be an RF4 guy. Okay. And, and then what happened was the uh, the rag was in Bergstrom at the time. The Air Force ran the uh, RF-4 rag, and they didn't have any availability for I don't know three or four months. And you guys both know the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps didn't want you sitting around too long. And so I got a call from the senior Marine saying, "You want the good news or the bad news?" I'm like well, that doesn't sound like a good proposition. But I said, "Well, I'll take the good news." He goes, Now there's no good news. You're going to go fly the Harrier." So well,
1: that is was, good. News. Yeah, it's I thought that you, was good
2: news. Yeah, but he was an old F four guy, so he kind of wanted me to fly the F four, and that was that. So yeah, well, so I wound up in the Harrier, and I was happy to be there. So there I was.
0: You got to the Harrier
1: fleet in the late eighties, eighty 89, 90.
0: Yeah, when'd you show up at the rag, shiny?
2: When I showed up at the rag, I God, I want to. I mean, the, the years kind of. It's a long time ago, but I I want to say I got to the rag in eighty eight. Does that make sense? Got, 87 yeah, 88. You,
0: So you got winged in 88 and then then went to the rag. Okay. Yep.
2: And, uh, and there's a, there's a backstory there too. So myself and a few other guys, we were supposed to be Yuma based. And, uh, just before we finished up with our Harrier training, we got a call to go see the group CEO. And he gave me the, gave us the, you guys want the good news or the bad news spiel again, which is kind of my Marine Corps career. And uh, he said, well, only one of you guys going to go to Yuma. The rest of you guys are going to stay here in Cherry Point. So looked at my roommate at the time and I said, well, I guess we should have picked a place down on the beach instead of here in uh, Havelock, North Carolina. Because the thinking at the time was this is just a temporary deal. We'll get to them with the rag and then we're moving out to, to Yuma, Arizona. So now we're going to be there in Cherry Point. So I was going to originally go to 223. They wound up, because I didn't want to stay in Cherry Point, they wound up swapping me and another guy that didn't want to deploy. I wanted to deploy. I wanted to, I wanted to be gone. I wanted to go. So that's what put me into VMA 231. So we went, went over to Westpac shortly after we got done with the rag.
0: Wow. So, so how, how long were you in the squadron before you deployed?
2: Uh, probably about, I think it was about six to eight months. You know, we're doing all the workups, getting everybody, their combat proficiency, they had to be above a certain percentage before you could deploy. And uh, so we had to get everybody up to that level. And then then we went over to Iwakuni.
0: There were, if I remember right, several lieutenants in in VM 231, right? You and then like a half a dozen other brand new guys, right?
2: I think there were nine of us okay um gee why are you laughing (laughs) because i got a funny feeling i know where this one might be going (laughs) i think i do too (laughs) it's okay
0: (laughs) so so shiny uh i if i remember right that one time you told me a story about some donuts and that's correct yeah that was us so can you can you shed a little light on that how how that why that happened how it went down Mm -hmm. that sort of thing
2: well of course so as lieutenants you're always you know you're catching that you guys are the fngs you guys are you know you don't have any experience and whatever and, and it was it's all good fun but after a while uh, we started to kind of plot a plan to figure out how we could b- get back at the guys that were constantly it's like fraternity hazing you know so how are we going to get back at these guys so we were in the philippines and a few other guys uh call signs only uh, curly and a couple of others we got together in somebody's boq room and started brainstorming on what can we do to get back at these guys. And, and there wasn't
0: any alcohol involved in this planning. No,
2: I'm, there might've been a little bit of alcohol involved, but <laughs> well, I remembered a fraternity prank that had occurred when I was in college and that uh, seemed like it might fit the bill. So in short, we've got a box of donuts and put them in the ready room and uh, advised uh, the CEO and another guy. I probably, that will come into the storyline later here you probably don't want to eat any of the donuts gentlemen. And, but the, the captains and the O fours, they all partook in the donuts. And then one individual moved the wax paper from the bottom of the box and saw a picture of nine of us with donuts, on our, you know, on our cranks and a sign that said compliments of your lieutenants. <laughs> so the donut, what little bits and pieces of donuts were remaining in somebody's hand, we're flying all over the room, and uh, but we owned those guys from that point on. So they may be the differ if you guys do any shows with them, but I think we owned a little piece of every one of them after
0: that. First one to the board, The first one to the whiteboard wins. <laughs> That's right. With Keep all it the markers. Up. That's right. You've already won, my friend. <laughs> Keep it up. Yeah, so,
1: exactly. Yeah, that
2: was it. That got immortalized later on with the commanding officer of the squadron, even when he was doing his retirement spiel said something about never take a donut from a lieutenant. And there was a, there's a whole nother story that probably is not fit for
0: uh, public consumption on that one, but
1: well, you know, feel free to share. We can, uh, we can edit it out if we need to, but uh,
0: and it's okay to, it's okay to, to uh, drop occasional occasional. Well, I was approached this. by
2: a very senior officer afterward that wanted clarification of what this whole donut thing was about, because everybody snickered in the room <laughs> and this gentleman was not privy to the whole story. And, uh, and so when I said, well, sir, I don't think you'd appreciate what happened. And uh, he's like, no, I got a hell of a sense of humor. So I told him basically what happened. He said, I would have probably court-martialed you. And I didn't know if the guy was serious or if he was messing with me.
0: And that was a general.
2: That was a general. A rather, yeah, yeah. Yes, that was a, that was a general. <laughs>
1: oh, a four-star. man. Yeah. Oh, man. That reminds me of the the movie uh, Good Morning Vietnam. You know what? I got a sense of humor. I'm funny. I'm (laughs) funny (laughs) too. The uplit Titan lieutenant, you know. And I had
2: a I actually had a run in with that same well with that general's dad years later in Yuma, Arizona. Um, He was the oldest Marine in attendance at a Marine Corps ball, and uh, as a token of the appreciation, they were going to present him with a gift. And, of course, the entire place got silent when I'm back there at the bar with a couple of buddies saying a pair of platform shoes because he was a short little guy. And, uh, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well played, sir.
2: <laughs> yeah, I got a, yeah, I got a, I got a little FaceTime with the general. But he did have a sense of humor. I will add that that particular guy, who uh, who was also a general in the Marine Corps, father of this other general who served in Vietnam, had a, he did have a good sense of humor. He got a kick out of that. But
0: he was vertically challenged. So oh, nice. of course it was, it was completely literally. silent when you said that. So it echoed
1: and everybody heard <laughs> Oh, it
2: was all the bar noise. Everything <clears throat> just went dead silent when I said a pair
1: of platform shoes. So <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Oh man. That, so, but speaking of that and doing uh, pranks on, on very senior officers, uh, I remember when I was in Hawk missiles, uh, the, the prank was always going around, you know, touch, touch a guy's shirt, you know, you got something on your shirt, they look down and you run your finger up their lips and nose. So, one guy goes to the other. It was kind of like the fig story, you know. I'll bail you out of jail if uh, the guy goes. I will <laughs> bet you five hundred dollars that you won't go up to General, who was the CG of the wing, a two star, and actually a pretty affable guy at the time. Um, and he goes, "That's not one I'm going to take." I like, okay, so Rich went up to the general later and said hey uh just a just a question you know someone bet me that I wouldn't do this to you and just curious what would you have done he goes well what was the bet he goes so it was $500 he goes yeah you would have needed that 500 i would have taken it from you at office hours <laughs> <laughs> so he wasn't going to split it
2: with you? is that what yeah, you're saying yeah no uh... <laughs>
1: For a
0: second, I thought you were going there. Well, yeah, I I'll they, split it with
1: you. I'll take two fifty. Oh, there you go, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was like, "Yeah, no, that one—that one crosses the line. I'm not, not going to let you do that." <laughs> well, I, I i wanted to lead this. Uh, I wanted to lead
0: this line of questioning a, a certain direction now because you you're one of the few, um, you're one of the few guys that were almost you know you're just a little ahead of me. And Sinbad and those guys and you, you were, uh, you were in the right place, right time. And, and, um, t- let t- tell us about your WW golf war one experience. You, you, you guys went from Westpac, right? We did. So tell, tell us the story of the morning or what you were doing when you found out that, <laughs> yeah, when you found out that, uh, there was probably going to be some combat action because this is a good story.
2: We had been flying some night flights and uh, shared a BOQ room with uh, Barney, call sign only, and another guy, uh, Bull, that uh, got rest his soul, if you guys remember Bull.
0: Oh, yeah. We, we
1: talked about Bull on, a, on an earlier episode. And Barney got his call, call sign because he looked exactly like Barney Rubble. The character. He was Barney <laughs> Rubble.
2: Well, Barney had a snoring problem. And uh, so we're in the BOQ room. And uh, if you remember the BoQ, uh, in places like the Philippines or Kadena or whatever, they had like three TV channels. They had the Armed Forces Network, you know, which had the Big Brother cartoon, uh, whatever stuff, and they had headline news. And so the headline news was on just to provide background noise, trying to drown out Barney snoring. Um, but uh, so Bull and I thought it would be kind of funny to drop uh, M Ms um, down the hatch. <laughs> And Barney didn't even miss a beat. He just, he didn't even wake up. He would just chew them and swallow them and then keep snoring. So after a couple of, you know, episodes of laughing about that, we see that on the news uh, they're announcing that Saddam had invaded Kuwait. And I thought, "Mm, this is probably not good. And I was was the guy that was responsible for retrieving the classified material at the time. So probably not a bad idea for me to jump on my little bike and ride up to the Com Shack up there in, in uh QB and get the message traffic. And so I got the message traffic and delivered it to the squadron CO. And that's shortly thereafter we found out uh we were going to be touching up our airplanes. We you know squadrons don't paint their own own airplanes. Um but we did a pretty good touch up on the, on the airplanes and changed them from a desert or from a, a green camouflage scene to more of a a sky desert camouflage scheme and uh and then about uh you know three or four months later we we went the long way we went from iwakuni to wake wake hawaii Hawaii, yuma yuma to cherry point where they did some stuff on the airplane before we brought it over to the theater uh, cherry point to rota spain rota spain to king abdulaziz saudi arabia got there just in time for the holidays just before christmas
0: merry christmas
2: so Merry Christmas. And there was another guy that when I opened up my canopy was there to hand me a fake beer because, you know, we weren't supposed to be having any alcohol. And uh, that would be a a gentleman you should have on another show. Maybe Sal. You guys remember Sal? Oh, yeah. Blast from the past, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good old Sal handed me a fake beer. And
1: a name I hadn't thought of in 25 years. I know, right? That's why this is so cool. This is really
2: cool to talk about this stuff. But, uh, yeah, we got to plush accommodations in uh, the good old government GP tents right there in the middle of a soccer field in the middle of nowhere in Saudi Arabia, just south of the port city of Jabal.
0: It had, what, well, like an 8,000-foot strip or something for the prince to fly his jumbo jet in and out?
2: Somehow the field or the, the soccer stadium was affiliated with the Saudi like Naval Academy there. Okay. Uh, and uh, I think that's hence the name King... Uh, Abzu- uh, King Abdul Aziz and the CBs came in and did some improvements so they added on aluminum matting at like the front end and the back end hides for the aircraft so we could keep them separated a little bit and some fuel pits so that's where we operated out of for for the basically the whole Gulf war yep.
0: that was pretty uh, that was pretty forward location if i remember to the border
2: yeah i can't remember the exact exact distance but we were about maybe uh, 10, top in maybe 15 minutes from the control points that uh, were around the country of Kuwait that uh, okay. when you would take off on a mission, you would be sent to uh, a control point where you'd check in with the uh, DASC, the Deep Air Support Coordination Center, yep. and, uh, and then they would hand you off for some sort of follow-on mission, mission either with a FAC on the ground uh mostly later on when the, when the ground wars started off but so typically when we would take off we would head up to one of these control points that were oriented around the border and there were several of them within the country of kuwait itself too and uh, airborne we check in with the desk and they would assign you who you're going to be working with whether it be a fast that would be a forward air controller that's in an airplane somebody on the ground or sometimes they'd send us to kill boxes. Just go try to find something inside of those boxes that uh, was on the targeting list. I think I did forty-three sorties that
0: way. Hey, drop tanks or no drop tanks?
2: Uh, we did not have drop tanks.
0: Because it seems like every time we saw one of you guys on CNN taking off, uh, or, or you know, there was no drop tanks, and everybody else was carrying drop tanks because they, t- they were they were transiting from farther away.
2: We were. That was part of the reason we were forward located. Uh, We could give about an hour of on-station time without any drop tanks, without having to hit the tanker. And there was a forward base even closer, a little place called Tanajib, which was only, I believe, maybe 10 miles inside of Saudi Arabia from the Kuwaiti border. So there were several times we would fly from King Abdulaziz, go do whatever mission it was. And when there was uh, targets of opportunity popping up, we would turn around in Tanajib, Which drastically reduced our turnaround time. Get gas, bombs, and right back up uh, on one of the control points for another mission. And so it was not uncommon to do three or four sorties a day. At that point, that's awesome. Yeah, it was very efficient. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. you know. So we, I mean, you'd rack up a lot of sorties, and then you typically have one, maybe two days before you'd be on the flight schedule again. So okay.
1: Okay. And two, 231 took some losses, as I recall.
2: We had one guy that was uh, shot down, and he was a POW right. for a few weeks. Right. And uh, 542 lost two airplanes. Yep. One
0: guy was... Was Vapor one of the guys in 542?
2: Vapor was in 542. Okay. Vapor was 542. Uh, he got His airplane got hit. He managed to... He was trying to... Uh, Land at an airfield in Kuwait that we were under the impression was held by friendlies. I don't think that was truly the case, but the airplane came apart before he uh, got there. He punched out, and uh, he managed to get picked up by Marines. And uh, the other gentleman uh, was killed. Right. That was in five forty-two.
1: Right. And, and he, then and then three thirty-one lost a guy too who had a. Uh, uh, I think they have a and, and or a burger in honoring him at Tinker, right?
2: That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he was, I think he was killed on the highway going up out of Kuwait City. Yeah. yeah. And then there was a, a gentleman from the Tomcats that uh, was a POW also. There was five Harriers shot down, two killed, two POWs, and one guy that got, a, you know, I don't got his airplane the, a few miles away.
0: I don't remember the other POW. I, I, I know the one from your squadron. And I, I can't I can't think of the I can't think of the other one from three thirty one. Didn't didn't three thirty one weren't they operating off a boat? Did didn't they, they were lose operating somebody off behind the boat.
1: ship? They were off the NASA, I think.
0: Well did yeah. well, not they lose an airplane and a pilot um like behind yeah. the ship one night?
2: I think that might have been on the way home, if I okay. remember right. I'm not hundred percent sure on that one, but they did lose Man. somebody operating off the boat yeah. and Man. they lost an airplane uh where the pilot was killed. Uh, on the highway out of Quaid city.
1: Yeah. And Lawman yeah.
2: was his uh wingman or lead on that deal if you remember right, Lawman. Right. That oh, was
1: yeah. uh that was Ridge. That's right. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Bridge. That yeah. That's yep. Yeah. And uh, uh I was think there was one other thing about it, one of the west coast guys and it was Oh yeah, no, it was it was after the uh it was after the war that he got it, it was uh inverted into the ground at night yeah and they don't know uh, why
0: rip yeah yeah, yeah. simbad was with him simbad was with him
2: when that happened
1: right. yep okay yep. So. enough death and destruction huh Jeez. yeah i know right that's Speaking of destruction
0: uh can yeah. can you recall any good uh you know any good details of uh, any any of your combat stories
2: uh well it kind of ties into probably something you're going to ask me about later I'm sure. But (laughs) but the one that still gets me chills when the ground war kicked off, we got a uh, real time mission when we were sent up to one of the control points where we checked in with the fact that was on the ground, the board air control that was on the ground. And he was embedded with. uh, I want to say one of the L.A.R. battalions, and if you guys remember, Saddam had lit off all the oil fires, so the visibility was pretty bad. And these guys uh, had movement on their flank, and they were concerned that they are the, uh, if I remember right, the CP was in the process of being moved, and they were concerned they were going to be overrun. So we got called in on this position, and uh, punching in the coordinates, if you guys remember, uh, you could get lat long or you could get grid. Right. And the guy was giving us grid. One of the problems in Kuwait is you have a zipper line where the grid doesn't really conform very well and so the grid that he gave us was way off like hundreds of miles off oh oh boy understandable because he's you know under a little bit of stress so uh he gives us lat long we punch it in there and the guy that i'm we we would take turns leading you know because whatever uh you'd lead one sortie the other guy would lead the other just to kind of give you a break um and the lead on that sortie said hey i'm gonna I punched in the coordinates. I'm going to go down and take a peek. He went down to take a peek, and the vehicles that they wanted us to drop on had uh, they were we vid them. They were friendlies. They had the panels on top of the vehicles. Oh so he popped up, came up, reestablished mutual support, and then he says, "Why don't you go down and take a look?" I go down and take a look, and sure enough, those are friendlies. So it's you know it's the fog of war. It was very chaotic, and I found out. You know, years later, that what had happened was they were doing like a bounding overwatch where one movement, one element would move, take a protective defensive position, and the other element would move. They weren't exactly moving along the lines they should have. So the one element perceived the movement of the element, other element as coming into their sector as hostiles coming out of the Albuquin oil field, which was one of the big oil fields in South Kuwait. And I wound up running into the uh one of the gentlemen from that lar battalion later on and he wound up getting the navy cross uh he retired as a full colonel but he yeah um they wound up actually getting cobras in there because they could sort it out a little bit better than us fast movers trying to dip down below the oil fire smoke and picking out what's friendly and what's not down there but that gives me what, uh... chills because i was afraid i could oh, drop yeah. on my own guys you know
0: oh that could have gone. Bad. I mean,
2: if you got trigger happy, that would have been a bad ending.
0: Yeah. So how, uh, how low did you have to go? If you just get, get me, get me in the ballpark to paint the picture. How low did you have to go to get below the, you know, the smoke line? So you could see it, it
2: kind of varied, but in, in a lot of the places you had to get down to probably around three to 4,000 feet, maybe even a little bit lower than that. And of course you got, you got a bag of knots, you know, and you didn't want to loiter around because you're silhouetted underneath that cloud, you know, that smoke. Right. So you're a very Easy target for somebody that was, you know, waiting for you to come down there. So we poke our nose down there, take a good look, and then pop back up into the into the smoke, find your wingman, and uh and figure out where you're going, <laughs> where you're going next. And it was chaotic. I mean, I've still got the HUD tape from it. And you can hear Betty in the background saying, bingo, fuel, because we, you know, we we were kind of pushing it. Yeah. Those were our guys down there. And you know, as a Marine, man, you're gonna. We're taking care of your bubba's so we were yeah. we were getting beyond our our fuel state but uh we had a close in place that we could go we could have gone to that place i told you about earlier Tana achieve to get gas we really needed
0: it so uh these sorties you this was before flying with nog so you, you this was all uh was this daytime most of the time was it daytime flying or were you this, flying at night? this
2: particular deal was a daytime deal um, and as you remember, we were flying what they called the day attack airplanes. We did not have clear, we did not have radar, no night vision goggles. We're, we're a visual bomber at that point. Even then you really didn't have enough time. Uh, you had to be really good to get the angle rate bombing system, the ARBs to lock onto something, to give you a good solution. So we were using barometric and, and radar altimeter CCIP. Yeah. You had to yeah. kind of had to have your a game, a game with all the hotas
1: to make it all work right, all right. so so hotez is hands on throttle and stick all the various switches yeah if everyone yeah. looks at a uh at a at a mock-up or go google a picture of a uh, tactical aircraft uh, joystick and throttle you'll see a half a dozen buttons or more on each one of those items and they control your speed brakes your radio your uh, trim your nose wheel steering, your guns, your uh, pickle release, your bombs, uh, uh, a million different things. The display that you're seeing in your HUD, all kinds of things. Um, it's uh, and it's a real target. It's a real yeah, target sensor. Yeah, yeah, real video yep. game uh, being played there, so to speak. Uh, I think I think that's why kids today are probably better suited uh, going in. Yeah, in they're ways. probably
2: better off for it than we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no kidding.
1: All all the Nintendo controllers uh, are. So similar to all the different buttons on the thing. So,
0: I I have a note jotted down here um, to to remind me from a conversation you and I had previously. Shiny, were were you involved in the highway to hell? I was. Tell us what that is. What's what was that about?
2: Well, basically, there was a main road that came out of Kuwait City that uh, once it was perceived that. The senior leadership of whatever Iraqi forces were in Kuwait were trying to escape north back into Iraq. They were on the highway heading north out of Kuwait City, and so it was on the air track, the ATO, the Aviation Tasking Order, where we had a different ordnance loadout, different fusing for different kind of like a lower altitude type of uh, persecution of the targets, if you will. So we check in on a control point uh, just out over the water, at basically a beam Kuwait city and wait for your turn to go down and go up the road. Um, Cause it was, everybody was funneling through that. So the chances of, you know, blue on blue with another airplane or something like that were pretty uh, high. So anyhow, it was being controlled in such a way that, you know, next they had a, a whole stack of airplanes waiting for their chance. To go up the highway, and it was like a training command road recce where you're establishing combat spread about a mile apart, a beam each other, heading up the road. And as soon as you picked up any kind of mover at all on the road, it was fair game. It was beyond the fire support coordination line, which meant anything beyond there was um, Indian country. You could you could you know bomb the target, and so you'd select quantity too. Multiple one, and, uh, <laughs> and hey, I got a mover, and so we'd had our tactics where you know you kind of you've got the lead, you persecute the target, and your wingman is going to come up on the other side of you and make sure that there's nothing coming out of it off the ground towards you, mutual support, and then you just reset and continue up the road, and we did that until we ran out of ordnance, and at that point in time we were carrying Rockeye, so oh, wow. we we're typically Oof. carrying six Rockeye. So dropping two at a time.
0: Explain what a raka is for somebody that maybe doesn't know.
2: It's a cluster munition that when it opens, I can't remember the exact number. I want to say like 247 of these bomblets will come out. And the closer you drop it to the ground, the denser the pattern is. Right. But uh, it's, it's I believe the, the ones that we had would go off as a shape charge if it hit something hard. So that meant it was, had an armor-piercing capability. But if it didn't hit something hard, I'm sure it had a, a bad effect on uh, personnel. On, not, not something you wanted to
1: be too close no, o- in the observation no, pattern. No. <laughs> no. No.
2: It was not uh, – wouldn't be good to be on that – on the receiving into that one. So, yeah, and then when – I think – I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: Well, I was going to say uh, you – I think you, you sort of touched on it. That was a high – There was a, uh, there was a high risk, uh, of a simul run.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Explain uh, that.
0: explain that to the layman. uh, What, What are you talking about?
2: So a simul run would be, uh, I've got my wingman or my flight lead. We're persecuting a target and there's somebody that we're not even on the same radio frequency with, but because of a lack of coordination, just so many airplanes in the air somebody from maybe off of the boat that hadn't checked in with the same controller is persecuting the same target. And, you know, you, it, it's, you know, the geometry is there where you could wind up having a midair as you're both pursuing the same target. So, uh, yeah. So, I saw
1: him first, get out of my way. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that they're not my... on the same
2: radio frequency. So the yeah, best right? thing you can do is tell your, your wingman or your lead, Hey, Simon, run, you know, and uh, knock it off, climb. So, yeah, we had to, it had to be, I mean, that that was probably as big a threat as, uh, as anything else there at that point, because I think the Iraqis were on the run. There were obviously still some surface-to-air shoulder-fired missiles going off, but nowhere near like they were
0: uh, earlier on. So... Well, that's awesome. Thank you for the story. You're 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 a bona fide war hero, you know. <laughs> Amen. Yeah,
2: man. Just doing what well, I got. you know, uh, we got trained to do.
0: We Pete and I watched the whole thing on CNN and the VMA 223's ready room. And when, when yeah. you guys came back, we got you know, trained to do it. We didn't get to do it. You you were just you you walked a little taller, you know, and you had that combat swagger. And we were like, Damn it!
1: It ended in four days you couldn't you guys have been a little less effective and uh you know let us get yeah. our chance at the yeah. yeah four days really come on That was well rude. i think
2: that <laughs> you, you're talking about the four sorties a day
1: no no, is no, it, no when, is it, is it when it, the ground oh, war four days
0: the ground
2: yeah war. it was it, it was pretty quick <laughs> i mean you know you in fact on the first day of the ground war different sortie that i was flying um probably did two, maybe three sorties that day. And the fire support coordination lines, that's the line from which anything beyond it uh, does not need positive control from somebody on the ground, but any any target that was on the friendly side of that, there had to be somebody on the ground that gave you a cleared hot that told you that because you you wanted to make sure that that was not a a friendly that you were targeting. And you would check in with the controlling entity and Every time you went up there, a different fire support coordination line had gone into effect.
0: It was I moving mean, so the, fast, the,
2: right? It was moving so fast. It was crazy how fast it was moving at that point.
0: So you came back uh, to Cherry Point. Um, yep. And this, this is where uh, the timeline gets a little weird for me. And, and, uh, but I, I, I bring the story up because it was mentioned by Sinbad. Uh, when Yeah, it was mentioned by him, Sinbad. I heard that on. part. So you have uh, you are in a unique position uh, because you married well. You started dating the executive officer's daughter, and then ended up marrying her. And then the executive officer became the commanding officer. So, and that's when I had to go somewhere else. <laughs> how did that come about? Uh, <laughs> how did you uh, how did you become t- to uh, date the XO's daughter?
2: Well, so we got back from. From the golf, and uh, everybody kind of went home to get reacquainted with their family and friends back home. So I'd gone back to my hometown, and uh, I don't know, its probably a week or 10 days later, I'm back in town, and the squadron is kind of starting to reassemble again with everybody coming back from saying hi to mom and dad and all that. And uh, there was a bar in the BOQ there on the base at Cherry Point, the Dirty Shame. Dirty you Shame. You guys remember dirty the bar. Shame. Dirty,
1: dirty Shame. Dirty
2: Shame. And, you know, we'd all get together and play the dice games that we all played and, and whatever. And, uh, so yeah, I'm at the Dirty Shame. We're all, most of the squadron's there, if not probably everybody. And the XO is there and, uh, with his lovely wife and, uh, his oldest daughter. And he introduces us and, you know, we're making small talk and, and, uh, um, there's maybe more of the story I shouldn't tell, but uh, I left her talking to a guy that we jokingly called the grenade. You know, you put him in a room full of people, you pull the pin and you run away and just watch what happens. And uh-huh. that, uh, that led to somebody telling me, Hey, what are you doing? You left uh, somebody talking to the grenade, get back over there and talk to her. So I go back over and I talk to Exo's daughter. And uh, so we want to, we were just, there were, there were five of us lieutenants that were single. And so we kind of had our own little rat pack that did all sorts of stuff, you know, go sailboating, jet ski ride and all that kind of stuff. And then Donut runs. after probably about, yeah. And after about three or four months, things started to get a little bit more serious and and uh, eventually we wound up getting married. Yeah.
0: And so you were married and the XO became the CEO and that didn't look good. So you were told you needed to find somewhere else to go. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, at that point uh, there were already um, some people concerned that there could be a nepotism type of thing. And uh, I would argue if anything, that was just the opposite because I wound up with some pretty uh, crummy things. that (laughs) I don't think I would have doled out to my favorite if that was indeed the case. JAG investigation in uh, New North Carolina on a stabbing and a, and a, a uh, field flight performance board for a student who wasn't doing too well in, in the training squadron. So yeah, I had a full plate. And uh, so anyhow, yeah, the XO called me into his, into his office and said, hey, uh, where's this going? Because um, I think I'm going to take over the squadron. And if that happens and you guys are serious, you're going to go somewhere else. And so all the above happened. It got serious. He took over the squadron and I want going down to Kingsville to be an instructor in
0: the A four. Okay. So,
2: <laughs> so that brings out a whole story full
0: circle. Right. Darn the
1: luck. And Darn so the luck.
0: I, I actually ran into you in Kingsville again. Uh, so I got there in, uh, it was like May or April of 96. And I think you probably left a couple months later. Is that, do you recall?
2: I want to say I left in 94. No, I'm sorry. I got, re- I got
0: there in 93. I got there in April okay, or May of 93. 93. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. It, it was late 93, I believe, when I left. Went okay. through a quick uh, refresher in Cherry Point, and then I wound up going out to Yuma. So my second tour in the Harrier was in Yuma with the Black Sheep.
0: Okay. that's. I knew you'd gotten to Yuma, and I couldn't remember the timeline. So you went from Training Command back, oh, to Yuma. Actually, I did a back tour in between there. One year Ouch. with 3rd LAR Battalion, yeah. Ouch. Okay. But that was
2: actually a good tour. I enjoyed that. And that's where I met uh, the gentleman that got the Navy Cross from the LAR Battalion, met him in the gym. He knew who I was because we didn't drop on them, and he was thankful for that. So that was kind of a good feeling there to know that somebody on the ground, because that battalion had had a uh, an A-10 uh, um, take out two of their LAVs Oh. A few weeks shit. earlier or a few days earlier, if I remember right. Yeah. So they had had a they had a blue on blue from an A ten with the Maverick. At, uh, Oof.
0: IR Mavic uh,
2: Maverick, I believe.
1: Rushing.
0: Yeah. Lost ten but, Marines. Uh when you were in VMA two fourteen. Uh they they were flying night attack uh parriers, right? Yeah.
2: Yep. So That's you got... uh, I made mean, got the night attack under my belt with that one.
0: So with the FLIR and the uh, NVGs yeah- So you were in the squadron with uh, one of my college uh, mates. He was a year behind me topper.
1: Oh yeah 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 yeah
0: yeah yep. Teals yep. I think I think he got it I think he changed it to topper after he lost the canopy. Uh, maybe you okay. uh, uh, w- were you there when that happened?
2: I don't think uh, I think I showed up just about the time they may have put to get put the uh, investigation or whatever okay. on that to bed yeah cuz that didn't happen while I was there so
0: to 214 and uh and you did a tour there and then and then did you leave active duty from there
2: i i did a boat deployment and uh was uh basically um going to, i don't even know how to put it we were just starting to get email and the commanding officer of the squadron said hey congratulations shiny you're going to get to go out on the next boat Dad. And that was when I was already kind of deciding, am I going to keep doing this or am I going to get out? And I wasn't really sure what another back-to-back boat deployment would do to my relationship (laughs) with the gal we talked about earlier. And these are six months uh, at a
0: time, right? Six months float at a time. Plus the
2: workups. Yeah, plus the workups. And so, yeah, I made the decision to just go ahead and get out at that point in time. It just seemed like the smarter thing to do. The airlines were hiring.
0: So what, what year was that?
2: That would have been in 97. Well, I left active duty in 97.
0: And so. so that, thank you for your service. And then do you, did you stay in the reserves?
2: Not at first, at first uh, I wasn't bitter or anything like that. I just was just kind of moving on with my life Done and, uh, <laughs> done with it. yeah, kind of done with it. And I flew with the guy that was in the reserves and he's like, wait a minute, you were in the army reserve, to help pay for college and you did basically 12 years of active duty so he's, he's adding up the math and he's like son are you stupid you only got to do a few more <laughs> years to get a retirement and uh so you know i kind of pondered that and i wound up seeking a reserve job but as you know there's no reserve harrier uh flying billets and uh i was in in the atlanta area um there were a handful of harrier pilots in a Uh, Reserve unit there in Atlanta, so they really didn't want any more Harrier guys. Um, There were non-flying positions, and uh, so I was encouraged to go to the MTU, which is just a kind of a holding tank until you find someplace else to go. And uh, I did that, and then eventually I just decided I'll finish up with. We jokingly called them the coloring books. I did command and staff, and and a few others to just go ahead and accumulate the points because at that point all you had to do was get. I think it's 50 points a year to be a good year towards retirement.
0: Right. So, right.
2: so, so I got my retirement. It'll show up here in a, in a year.
0: Well, you're going to like that. So. Uh, at least I hear, I, you know, I, mine hasn't kicked in yet. Well, like I said, thank you for your service.
1: Indeed. Yeah, thank you. yeah. Yeah.
0: I think we all did our lone little part. Some of you did more than others. I, I watched a year, I watched your combat experience on CNN. I didn't get my combat experience till later when I was flying C C-130 where I couldn't even shoot back in. And you that
1: didn't get over for
2: southern watts or anything like that. No. Did you get over for any of that?
1: Nope. No. No. Nope. No. No. We didn't do any of that stuff. Not no. in 223. That what happened was they they dumped all of the the non qualified guys that hadn't gotten the checks in the box to go into 223 and said get them ready trip. And yep. So that they he put an amazing effort together and had us ready to go and damn war ended <laughs> yeah you guys, so, you guys kicked um, too much ass yeah.
0: too too soon we we yeah. never got a chance we
1: we weren't all not ready but but the everybody that wasn't ready to go with with the gun squadron they were in wound up in two twenty three um as and watched watch their buds fly off into the sunrise uh to go uh to to go over to the middle east so all right. Well, I, I pick up,
2: for some reason, I thought you did a boat bet, but you never did a boat. And Pete, so you
0: did do it. I was the uh, alternate, and I did the workups for the boat. Did you go on the boat, Pete? Did you go on the l No, I did 7? the workups
1: on the Wasp. Uh, but yeah, that's what I did. Not going. I, did too, yeah. And I did. I did, We did those workups, but didn't wind up going. Then we wound up doing a Westpac instead of a boat deck. Right. And then when I, when I got back, then I wound up getting over to 203. And then, yeah. he offered, then he offered me three years at the Pentagon. Was that
2: Vapor? So, that was that No, that was pre-Vapor.
1: That, I I can't remember the Jensen name, but he's actually at my airline. And oddly enough, we're sitting on a dark night one night in the in the cockpit, just the two of us going from middle of the country up to Anchorage, Alaska, and started chatting and realized who he was. I went, like, oh. Oh, really? You're the reason I'm here. <laughs> you're the guy,
0: that, oh, you're the guy that forced me out of the Marine Corps. Yeah.
1: You forced you, my decision. Yeah. He goes, funny. oh, you know, he kind of apologized. I'm like, nothing to apologize about. It actually wound up being one of the one of the better financial decisions for me that ever happened. So, but yeah, so I think
2: some, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of those things that just kind of pushed you into the water yeah. were yeah. Uh, ultimately the better thing that happened to us all. Absolutely, time to sink or swim.
0: Absolutely, well, you know, it's tough. You were had you had young, uh, you had young kids, and you just did a boat debt, and 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 they're and the boss is telling you, hey congratulations you're going on the next one that's right. well and yeah
2: and the the debt that we were on we were you know it was supposed to be this go see some cool places and we wound up sitting there doing southern watch off you yeah. know in the persian gulf and i knew the next boat was going to do the same thing this itinerary that they had was not going to be what they did right and i'm not some clairvoyant but i figured we were going to end up back in iraq again it was only a matter of time and, uh, so I didn't really feel like hanging around for the, uh, for the second part. <laughs> I I'd, I'd already done my part. I was done. I think so. that was
0: probably the best call right there, buddy. Look how it worked out.
2: Yeah. It worked out great. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Got two kids, two grandkids. Nice. what life's all
0: about, right? It Absolutely. is. Thank you for Family. sharing your story. Indeed. That's awesome. God bless America and God bless the United States Marine
1: Corps. <laughs> God bless the Marine Corps. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, a, a special, a special privilege to uh, to get to be a Marine officer and, and to fly jets and uh, serve around the the fine, fine professionals that uh, also chose to do that.
2: I think I'd do it all over again if I was thirty years uh, younger again. You know,
1: you, you know, I've I've often been asked what I do. I'd do everything again except those years. That, that wasn't my like yeah. exactly that right there. <laughs> okay uh so before we close it then thinking of that now that brought some quick laughs favorite favorite ocs story i'm in lima 2 summer of 81 and sergeant white and staff sergeant cadena were the uh sergeant instructor and the platoon sergeant and they came in and said new rules candidates we have now been told we are not allowed to trash your shit. we can't touch your things but there's no rule that says you can't do it. So when I come through the squad bay doing this, and he's waving his finger vertically around and around and around, he goes, that means I'm a little brown tornado, and I better see shit flying everywhere. And if I don't, you're going to wish you would made it fly farther and harder than it had ever flown before. And so he'd do that about twice a week. He'd come through with his finger in the air and we had to throw our own shit out of the wall lockers and foot lockers, strip our racks, throw them the was mattresses. This a, was
2: this at Upshur? Were you guys up in the Quonset huts? Uh, yeah. It was a camp Upshur. Quonset yeah. huts, yeah. Right? Yeah. Quonset
1: camp huts? Upshur.
2: Yep. That was a Quonset hut.
1: Yeah. Those were the Quonset yep. huts. Like, like something yep.
2: straight out of Gomer pile.
0: Yeah. All right, shiny. What's yours?
2: All right. So do you guys remember the junk on the bunk inspections? Yes. Okay. You had all your stuff out there, junk yep. on the bunk. And you had your web built on and you had, you know, whatever your, your, uh, um, magazine, you know, uh, that, yeah, the magazine pouches, the whole nine yards, right?
1: Magazine pouch. And so when yeah, an
2: inspecting yeah. officer would stand in front of you, you'd have to do the order arms, right? And, uh, so right, right in front of me. This kid that's doing his order arms, when the colonel steps in front of him, keeps catching his M-16 on his web belt. And and the colonel finally says, son, just stop. He said, what did you plan on doing this summer? And he's like, well, I'm not really sure, sir. He's, May I suggest a a, uh, weightlifting program because you're letting that 6.5 pound weapon kick your ass. And so the entire squad bay, of course, starts dying laughing, you know, and then, then now we're all out there doing mountain climbers because, right. you know, we weren't supposed to be, uh, lapping. Yeah, you lost your yeah, we all lost our bearing in front of the colonel. You lost your bearing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, there were so many things, I don't know if it's the stress, what it was, but the simplest things would make you laugh. Oh, and, sure. yeah. and I don't know how.
1: Yes, Uh, especially when it was happening to somebody else.
2: But I don't know how the drill sergeants ever kept a a straight face because the the funniest things they said.
1: Oh,
0: I know they—they were pure. And I do have one other one. Uh, Do it. One other
2: one. When they would come out in the morning, early, early morning, you know, and they're Mm -hmm. banging on the garbage can lid or whatever, and get online, and everybody's got to stand at the end of their rack. Well, there's a guy, a couple bunks down from me, but he woke up with, let's just say something was. Morning wood sticking out, yeah, yeah, right, yes. And Gunny Patterson didn't even drop a beat, man. He puts his cover on it and looks at him and goes, It better not touch the deck, and just kept on walking. Ah! <laughs> so, basically, it became a hat rack for the Gunny's hat. And, uh, needless to say, despite whatever this kid was thinking, um, it touched the deck, so. And
0: then all hell broke loose. Well, so so funny. You, you, that was a segue. That's good. That's my OCS story. Uh, Same kind of deal. Uh, And this is for early on. This is right after we got all of our stuff issued to us, the clothes and everything. And it was, you know, one size fits all boxer shorts.
2: Right.
0: Sergeant instructor flips on the lights at four in the morning, bang, you know, throws the garbage can, get online. And so he's, He's, you know, going up and down the squad bay, screaming, telling us we're, uh, you know, unfit and worthless. And, and in mid-sentence, he stops. Uh, and he's off to my left. And I'm looking across at the guy in front of me. And we're both straining to see what's going on down there without moving our head. And finally, he goes, what the fuck is that? And then I, I just looked. And it was the same deal. You know, this, this poor dude his boxers were, you know, of course they're, they're giant and the fly was wide open. And this dude was standing there at attention with morning wood. And this guy gets right up in his face and he says, and by the way, this guy was a, uh, so I, I went to a 10 week, 10 week OCS. It was oh, one yeah, and done. Yeah. And it this guy words. was a, was a lawyer. He had already graduated from law school and he was, he was going, wanted to be a Marine Corps JAG, And his, his last, his last name was Bumba, which makes the story even better. So the sergeant instructor is standing there and says, what the fuck is that candidate Bumba? Uh, sergeant instructor of the candidate. No, oh, God damn it. I want to know what that is, Bumba. Tell me what that is. Are you happy to see me, Bumba? And he's going on and on. And <laughs> I'm looking at the guy across from me and he is crying. He's got tears running down his face, trying not to laugh. This goes on for for several, several minutes. This poor Bumba is getting the, And then, you know. And then it's uh, he he leaves him alone and uh, and you know then we play the games where you you got five seconds to make your rack well bumba being the smart law school graduate the very next morning same kind of deal we you know we start early in the morning with the trash can and get online and he screams at everybody and then he says okay you got five seconds to make your rack so of course it's you know nobody can make a rack in five seconds and you get back online and this is a this is pretty standard well we're 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 trying to make a rack in five seconds, and we hear this screaming from down there, uh, uh, the other end of the squad bay where Bumba was, and the uh, and I look real quick to see what it was about. The sergeant instructor was standing behind him. <laughs> Bumba put his boxers on backwards, so so that wouldn't happen again. So Bumba's bent over now, making his bed, and his entire ass crack is hanging out that giant fly of the. And he says, "What are you trying to tell me, Candidate Bumba? What is it exactly you are trying to tell me?" <laughs> 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 I'll uh never forget that
2: and the lap that you oh, have <laughs>
0: yeah. oh my god those guys yeah. were so bless creative them. god bless the united states marine corps yeah.
2: there's a little bit of truth i think to the yeah, uh indeed. the opening scenes of full metal jacket where the the drill sergeants going i mean there's a different kind of appreciation i have for that movie oh yeah i haven't oh, been yeah. an experience like that
1: all right gents well let's wrap this up and uh, again let me say uh Thank you for joining us, Shiny, and thank you for your service. Uh, God bless you and your family. That's great. That's awesome. You're getting to spend time with kids and grandkids, and uh, you served your country well. And uh, then you share, shared it kindly with us. Uh, we're, we're honored. So, so thank you. Um, want to also say thank you to a man who has supported us in putting this show together and getting it out and helping it become uh, as popular as it is rapidly becoming. Uh, so thanks to Dave Hamilton over at the MacGeekGab, MacGeekGab.com. Uh, it's a tech podcast that's all things Apple and more uh, tech. Um, and Dave has uh, shown showed me some numbers uh, last week. We're uh, well over 500 listeners per show and growing. So Please uh, share this show with your friends, and there's something else you can do to help us grow. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, you can go to the bottom of the screen uh, with this show up and give us a five-star rating, and or a quick review would be also very nice. That helps grow uh, the show, lets other people see that this is a popular show and helps Apple rank us higher up to get more people to uh, see it. Um, I actually heard from a guy this week uh, who... Was on the deck uh, of uh, the USS Lincoln on our last show, episode 14. Happy birthday, Yogi! And he uh, wrote to me and described how he saw uh, Yogi coming back to life. Said he looked like a, a marionette That's puppet L-S-S-ing. being picked up off the uh, uh, off the floor by a puppeteer as he was as he was coming back to consciousness. And I'm like, wow, yeah. So. Um, so some great comments coming in and we appreciate all of those. Reach out to us, please. There's fig at sothereiwas.us or repeat at sothereiwas.us. Repeat spelled R-E-P-E-T-E. And you can reach us on Facebook at sothereiwas.us slash Facebook or sothereiwas.us slash Twitter for the Twitter account. Um, so with that, everybody, uh, enjoy your week ahead. Enjoy the show. Please share it with friends. And we'll see you next week. In the meantime, check six.
0: To make the donuts. I made the donuts Time to make the donuts. Time to make the donut. Time to make the donuts.